Just know right. it won't be a perfect show. Yeah. It's impossible. It is impossible. Just stare at Stephanie and my flaws, not your own. It's true. We are Look into my nostril, my left nostril, flogged. my hairs are growing very fast. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I am your friendly host, Stephanie Schaefer, here with our fearless leader, Pastor Matt Brown, the PMB. Yes. How's it going? Very, very good. Glad to be here. Super excited. Good to be back. Enjoyed my break. Back from D.C. Do not like cold weather at all. Oh, yeah. No, me either. I don't do cold <laughs> yeah. weather. So. And apparently spring. Don't like that either. So. Why don't you like spring? It's not Because uh, I almost died. I had an asthma attack. Oh. Yeah, we were walking underneath the Cherry Blossom Festival. Oh, this oh, is beautiful. So and then I almost died. Oh. So spring in D.C. or spring anywhere? I think pretty much anywhere. Yeah. I think I've become acclimated to the desert. So, yeah, my tolerance, right place. my tolerance is dust and smog. Those are the yeah. two things mm-hmm. I can handle. If there's anything blooming, I'm dead. So Fair enough. Well, here on The Debrief, we are kicking off a nine-week series all about the Enneagram. We are joined today by two of our friends who are... Uh, highly gifted in the style of the one. So we're excited to dive into that today. So we've got Bethany and Brian here today. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dive into that. If you have not yet had a chance to listen to the first two messages in our series about you, the first one called Why You and the second one all about the style of the one, make sure to check those out. Those are going to give you some great context for this episode as we start diving into these nine different personality styles as we learn to get to know ourselves and love ourselves a little bit more. Yes. So with that, we've kicked off and sent out a self-discovery assessment to the masses. If you listen to our last episode, you got the link for that. You can find that at move.sc slash self-discovery so that you can start to learn your type, which is going to help you as you walk through all these episodes. But folks are starting to send in lots of questions that they've taken those assessments because you get a lot of information about yourself. They can be a little hard to process. Mm -hmm. So let's just dive into a few of those logistics really quick. One of the things that you get are both healthy and unhealthy scores on each of those types. Pastor Matt, can you talk through exactly what that means? Yeah, so it, it, it means exactly the way it sounds. There are some aspects of your personality that you operate in a healthy manner. So that means good, right? True. Um, every aspect, every number um, has amazing things that reflect the glory of God and the goodness of God. And so what that means is when you are healthy and you're doing things that reflect God, it's good things. There's good aspects to your personality, and we want all of these personality types uh, within our church. The unhealthy um, is the propensity that you go to the negative sides of the personality, and so you do things that um, are not healthy or loving or kind um, or really are sinful in your personality, and you tend to use your personality style in a negative way. And so that's what it means. And it it simply means the number, the higher the number of healthy and unhealthy is the more likely or less likely you are to use your personality in a healthy type or unhealthy type. And so don't be freaked out if your unhealthy scores are really, really high. My unhealthy scores were extraordinarily high, which is why I paid $10,000 uh, for counseling to really, really work through these issues because I hadn't dealt with a lot of the wounds in my life. And so just know this, you know, God created you um, beautiful, but the reality is we're born into a sinful world and we become broken. And our parents, as much as they loved us and as hard as they tried, um, we we developed some adaptive stru- uh, styles to our personality to try to fit into the world as we experienced it. And so here's the thing is, think you can do things as a child that work as a child, but then you become an adult and those things don't work. And so you have to do one of two things. You have to change or you know you have a midlife crisis. Those are your two choices. That's where you're heading 
to the point where you realize your strategies for life don't work. And so you either crumble and become a total child or you you crumble and you change. You say, okay, God, I want you to redeem this brokenness in me. And it's just okay. We're all broken. We're all sinners. Um, even the ones who are here today that are better than the rest of us. Um, we're all sinners. We're, we're all saved by the glory of God. And we need to embrace that and celebrate the fact that God um, is reflected in our personality and can be glorified in our personality as it transforms and changes and we become more like him. So no matter what number you are, and we, I don't want you to refer to yourself as a number. I, I say I have a lot of three in me. I have a lot of seven in me. Occasionally I, ha- I have some eight. Um, but with within that, what I wanna do is I want to have Jesus change the way I think, act, and feel. I'm always probably gonna have a lot of three in me. That's how God's designed me. But as a three, I need to think act and feel more like Jesus. And so I need to move in that manner uh, so that I can be healthier for myself, for my relationship with my family and my kids, our church. Uh, Otherwise you become an absolute mess. And so, um, you know, part of being a Christian is changing and saying, God, I want you to change. It's not just what I believe about God, but it's what I believe about myself. And so that's part of what it means to be a Christian. And that's why so many Christians aren't changed. They never grow. They're not any different because all they've changed is their thinking about God. Well, that's not going to always change you. You have to think about, you have to change your thinking about yourself and say, okay, God, what do you want to change in me? It's not just your belief about him. It's your, it's your belief about yourself and your behavior. So, and, and that needs to reflect and interact. So um, that's what healthy and unhealthy means. And so just go slow, don't panic. I know it's a lot of information. We've worked really, really hard to make it as simple as possible, but it's really, really scary at first. And again, this is your first step into beginning to understand yourself. And, and the good news is you get to take you wherever you go. So you have some time to get to know yourself. And, you know, as Tammy and I've walked through this, it's been amazing. Um, you know, her Enneagram journey has not been as long as mine. Mine's about 15 years, but really in the last three years, watching her get really, really serious about this and, and watching and being a part of her reflecting about her beauty and her brokenness and being able to be part of both. It's been really, really great. And, you know, um, to come alongside her because she has some unhealthy one in her where all she sees is the negative and to be able to say, well, okay, you're like that sometimes, but you're not always rigid. You're not always these ways. You know, th- th- when you get uptight or scared or worried, yes, you tend to go to this in an unhealthy way, but but here's some of the beauty, beautiful aspects of your personality. And here's some of the things that I just love and appreciate. And, and to be able to speak that into her because especially ones are so self-critical um, they need, I think, uh, a loving, kind voice to speak truth back into them about who they are because they just see flaws. And um, and it's tragic because they're some of the most beautiful people in our church and some of the most amazing people. And uh, I love them so much. And uh, I get excited when somebody scores high on the one on <laughs> our personality assessments because we know they're going to get their crap done. And some of the other personalities, <laughs> not so much. So, you know. <laughs> So one may not always be a joy to be with, but they're going to get their stuff done. So, so we appreciate that. Oh, that is true. So we've had a lot of people even kind of freaking out or panicking a little bit. Like mm. we have a lot, I have a lot of unhealthy scores or I have a lot of high scores. Like, yeah. Welcome to life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, and that's just the thing is I think a lot of us live in this fairy tale land where we, we truly believe we're, we're healthy because we compare ourselves to the news or to our, you know, our drunk uncle or, you know, our, our crazy friend. Yeah. Our crazy friend. And so, um, okay, they're not the standard. That's not the picture of health that we compare ourselves to. We compare ourselves to Jesus and ultimately who he is and what he's called us to be. And so what that means is we got a lot of work to do and we got a lot of changing to do. And just know 
that if you put in the time, you put in the effort, I believe God will meet you there and he will supernaturally help you change. As you continue to confess these unhealthy aspects of your personality as sin, that's what they are. To sin means to fall short of the glory of God and say, God, this is not who you've called me to be. This is not what I wanna be. And I wanna change this. And you know, when you embrace your personality, here's the thing is, you're not gonna confess this once or twice or 10 times or a hundred times. This is gonna be a lifelong journey because this is part of who you are. And you know, many of us have been operating in a very unhealthy manner for a long time. And so, um, you know, we all want the instant miracle. Um, but the reality is like, if you just simply try to tackle something like losing weight, that's a major obstacle to overcome. It requires a change of thinking, a change of acting, right? Exercise and a change of eating. I mean, that's just, that's just literally losing weight. Now, now let's try to adjust your personality. I think we all want the chiropractor version, right? Where we just sit down and crack, crack, and then, okay, we're good. Um, but even in that, right, you don't go to the chiropractor once. You go back repeatedly for multiple adjustments because as human beings, we tend to get out of line and we need to be brought back. And so um, we need to notice that um, in ourselves. So, And pastor, is it true that a high unhealthy doesn't necessarily mean kind of holistically unhealthy, but it might be kind of situational or if yeah. you've got both healthy and unhealthy that are high, a little bit situational or at times you can be unhealthy but not to read that to mean that you are holistically unhealthy. Right. So you need to look at the gap between the two scores. And so again, you know, there are people in our church who are coaches and, and they can come alongside you. So if you have a score where, you know, it's 99% unhealthy and 5% healthy, that's something to look at. What that means is right now in your personality, the way you're expressing yourself to yourself and others is not good. And that that gigantic gap. Now, most of us are not gonna have that. Most of us are, you know, our scores are gonna be, you know, somewhat close, but if you see just a gigantic gap, there's a schism there and you need to say, okay. And also just know, you know, you, did you take the test? How were you feeling when you took the test? I mean, we, Tammy and I did this coaching with another church and the pastor had his wife take the test for him. I'm like, this is not helpful. So um, don't take the test the way you want the answers to be. Take the test as, as real as, and as authentic as you possibly can. Um, and so, and so, so look at that. And, and what I would say is don't be afraid to press into unhealth. Um, you know, like if you have cancer, we don't need to pretend that you have, you know, um, I don't know, athlete's foot, here's a cream and, 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 and in two weeks you're done. We, we have to really attack this. And so if there's something unhealthy there, don't be afraid to say, okay, this is a problem. So my unhealthy score for my three, when we went to counseling two years ago, I think was 98.9. That's a problem. That's, That's a, a really, really bad problem. Um, specifically, as we get into the three who struggles with lying and deceit, what it means is I was not honest with myself, my wife, or anybody else about how I was feeling. Mm. I was not walking in truth. So I needed, to, I needed to deal with that. And I remember in the middle of counseling starting to get an eye twitch because the truth starts working its way out whether you like it or not. <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, I really thought we were there to deal with Tammy and her unhealth <laughs> and then realizing, wow, I've really got some issues that I need to deal with and some painful places. And we all have these places. And here's the thing, Jesus wants to go into those places with you. He wants to sit there, bring healing and, um, and let you know that he loves you, he cares about you. And again, back to you know uh, the one's favorite verse, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What he wants is wholeness and completeness. And so the way you become whole and complete <sighs> is by inviting God into your imperfection. Okay, God, here I am. So 
a good verse for the ones is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a great verse for a one. If I confess my sins. So then what does John go on to say? If we say we have no sin, we are calling God a liar and the truth is not in us. Whoa. I think John had met some ones, some non-resourceful ones. And so uh, some non-healthy ones. And so we need to invite God into that and, and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to bring you into this area. And, and the truth is, man, you know, you don't, you typically have arguments like in your marriage with your kids because you're, everyone's operating according to health. What tends to bring those issues up is right, our sinfulness and our brokenness. And we, and we don't know how to express them or deal with them, or we get frustrated. And so nobody's perfect all the time. So just understand that and rejoice if, if, you know, there's some healthy scores there. Really rejoice. Okay, wow, I, I, I do this well. Mm-hmm. I, I tend I tend to do this well. I would use the word tend because I don't always operate unhealthy and I don't always operate, um, did I say unhealthy? Mm-hmm. I don't always operate healthy. I tend to do these things because, right, that's my personality. I, I tend to find myself in these situations. So if I want to change, I need to acknowledge that and work hard um, to change that, so. Yeah. So on the unhealthy scores, one of the things we, we've been learning in our training and as we're doing more research is that with the one uniquely, when you have a really high unhealthy score on the one, that can tend to kind of skew some other things. Can you talk about that? And maybe Bethany and Brian, maybe your experience and how you've seen that play out in your scores, but what exactly does that yeah, mean? Yeah, so the first thing that you need to look at um, as you take the score is go, go immediately to your one score and look at the unhealthy number. So if it's uh, 60 and above, that means that your unhealthy one has a high influence on your personality. Maybe 79. 79, there unhealthy we go, yeah. One, yeah so, so that means it has a very, very high... Uh, impact on the way you took the test. So what that means is as you're taking the test, you're not going to, you're going to have a tendency to answer the questions, not how they actually are, but how you think you should. So let's say uh, you're a three, which your course in is lying, but you have a high non-resourceful one. That's gonna be really hard for you to answer. Yeah, I have a tendency to lie because I shouldn't do that. That's wrong. So I'm going to answer the score. I'm going to answer the test in a way that's not accurate. And that can skew the test. So you want to look immediately at uh, the non-resourceful one score and, and see how that impacts it. That doesn't mean necessarily that it does that, but you need to be aware of that, that a high non-resourceful one um, can negatively skew the test because like I said, you're operating based upon, you know, this is how I should be. Mm-hmm. And again, so you should all over the test and now- <laughs> there's a problem. So you guys want to answer that? Yeah, have you seen that at all in your results? Sure, yeah. I think in mine, it, it really played out in the seven because I, I have a 0.7 on seven. So uh, <laughs> less than one on my seven score. Like you should. Yeah. <laughs> so I, And I think that's a lot of, hey, you shouldn't take a break. You shouldn't have fun. You shouldn't jump into the, whatever the enjoyable activity is that's, that's going on, um, which is interesting because they talked in our training a bit about if that's kind of your situation, some high unhealthy one with some really low seven, to actually start with the seven, mm-hmm. figure out figure out how you can introduce some healthy seven into your life before you worry too much about the unhealthy one, right. uh, which is really kind of how that played out for me. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any extremes on mine. My uh, seven score is a, a teeny bit higher than Brian's. I have a whole. You have a higher like than 0.7? I have, I have a whole number, at least <laughs> yeah. instead of Brian. But my four is not a whole number. And so anything that it's high for emotion or for, yeah, things that maybe fall out of what the bound, I'm new here, sorry, the bounds of <laughs> what should I think is the norm or the safe zone, I don't stray out mm. of that. And I think you can see that on all my results. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just absolutely amazing. So just, just pay attention to that. And, and again, 
I know some of you are going to feel overwhelmed and just know that you're going to learn this as you go. And there's people here at our church who want to help you. And and these are baby steps, mm-hmm. baby steps. Don't be afraid to be a beginner. And this is your first step into understanding yourself and how God's wired you and how God wants to help change uh, and enhance the way he's wired you. So again, we're about change at Sandals Church. We're all changing, we're all growing. And this is just a beautiful tool to help you begin the process of being real with yourself. So don't freak out. Yeah, and, and beginner can be kind of uniquely tough for the one because we're yeah. so afraid to not do it perfectly that sometimes mm-hmm. we'll withdraw and not do it at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so for us, it's important to even just take that first step, begin to make some small changes, even if you're not going to be perfect at it. Right. Be a beginner. Yeah, and so here's the beauty of the test. Like basically, you said your seven score was really low too? Oh yeah, it's like five. Okay, so ones have a hard time relaxing and having fun and and because they, they have to get all these things done. So here's how it helps you is, uh, rest and play is an important part of life. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not doing that, you need to tell yourself, I should have fun, I should rest, and I should play. So use that one to help you enter into those and tell yourself these are good things, like having fun with my family, being out, enjoying, relaxing, um, going on date night like you did. Those are good things. Like mm-hmm. that's that's actually productive. And so it's really forcing yourself to see, you know, okay, I, I need to do these things because it's good for me and it's who God's called me to be. And especially on the test, if we see an extraordinary low number on any of the scores, we want to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. We want we want, we want, want to look into that because we want to have all of the numbers reflected somehow in our personality because all of those numbers in a beautiful way reflect the glory of God. And so um, that's why, again, I, I like this test because it doesn't just pigeonhole us, but we're allowed to kind of embrace and, and touch all of the scores and say, okay, Here's, here's an area where I can I can grow a little bit mm-hmm. and I can have some more fun. Or if your four score is really low, I can feel, I can work on feeling and connecting. And, um, you know, because, right, p- part of connecting with God is emotional. Mm-hmm. It's not just regimented. And so um, as a one, I'm going to lift my one hand in worship as I walk into the holiest of <laughs> holies. and so uncomfortable right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right, um, it's okay to do that because feeling God and and experiencing God through emotion is not unsafe. It's actually an invitation. Yeah, so. or even I think diving into creativity with that for of like, oh, I want to try this, but like, I'm not good at that. Like, I'm not yeah. going to do that well. I'm not going to accomplish that well. What is mm-hmm. being creative going to look like? And yeah, like I've talked, my husband's a really high force. He's like, oh, I'm super creative. He's like, you're creative too. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not good mm-hmm. at it. Like you are good at it. So therefore, because I have mm-hmm. a lot of one in me as well. So it goes yeah. like, oh, I'm not good at that. Like, yeah, and that, and that's really. You know, if you're a one or have a lot of one in you, you really miss out on so many things because you evaluate joy based upon whether you're good at it or not. Mm-hmm. So you, you, as a kid, you might really enjoy soccer, but you're not good, so you don't play, but you liked it. And so, you know, whereas the four, right, they're on the team, they, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, having fun or the seven, you know, celebrating everybody. Uh, so the one evaluates joy based upon um, really excellence. Am, am I excellent at this? And so they tend to fall into things, not necessarily that they enjoy, but that they're good at. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of ones find themselves in professions like engineering or, and you'll see these, right? They, 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 they just kill it in school. And then all of a sudden they're an attorney and they're going, I hate this. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, you just followed your ability rather than your passions. And so as the one, you got to be really, really careful. I'm good at this, but do I enjoy this? Do, do, does this bring me joy? Um, and so is this something that I want to do? And so especially if you have kids that are ones, they're going to be so drawn to what they're good at, but you have to measure that with, do you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Is, does, this, does this bring you joy? Because, right, 
your career is what you do every day, all day. So you, you need to find some level of satisfaction in what you're doing. Um, and I always, I always feel like pharmacists are all ones. Like when you go to the pharmacy counter, there's like, that's like, it's, it's just the tomb of joy in but there. But you want that level yeah, of no, someone no, you, yeah. who is on their game. I want one picking out my yeah. drugs for me. But I want somebody that's passionate about chemicals and getting it right. You know, I, I just, right. And measurements. They just don't, they just look like they just scored really, really well in math and chemistry. So they're back there and they're trapped in a white coat. And I'm just like, I love you guys. That was also me. I spent all of high school planning to be a doctor. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I'm good at yeah. I'm good at math and science. That's what my parents love if I'd be a doctor. And then I'm applying for college and trying to pick a major and pre-med was an option. So my mom said, oh, you probably want to choose like biology or chemistry. And I was like, ugh, I hate those. And thank God for my mom said, you probably shouldn't be a doctor. If you hate those subjects, yeah. that's all you're going to do. Yeah. And so she actually helped redirect me because I think I would have just gone down that path and yeah. probably hated my life. Been yeah. good at it maybe, but hated it. So it's interesting how that works. Yeah, you can be brilliant and be an artist. It's okay. Embrace <laughs> it. So now let's dive in specifically more into the one and talk about just what are some of the key characteristics of the one? How does that tend to play out? What have you guys learned and experienced as you've divin, divin, that's not a word, dove, dived, I don't know. As you've learned more about the one, <laughs> um, what are some of the key characteristics of the one, Pastor Matt, or you guys? Yeah, so, so I, again, you know, we've, we've sent out, if you take the test, there's a, there's a great summary that we've put together for you. And it's literally, I think, two or three paragraphs. And I, I think it's really well, really well written. I didn't write it. Um, uh, we had a team that really worked hard to communicate to you who the one is. So the one is the reformer and they see the world as it should be. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, God sees the world as it should be. And he's bringing, right, the kingdom of God. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, what he's saying is, is I see something that you don't. And so that's the one in Jesus, right? I see something that you don't. And he's gonna bring reformation. He's gonna bring change. Um, you know, that whole idea of resurrection is that we can be something more than we are. And so that's the one at its very best is seeing the potential in themselves and people and, and really seeing um, the possibility of better. Now, the negative of that is perfection. So the, the ugly, like, right, you know, um, oh, I don't want to say stepsister, the ugly... Duckling. The, the ugly duckling. duckling, thank you. Uh, the, the other side of that is, right, the perfection and criticism constantly being overwhelmed by the flaws and, and what's wrong. And so it becomes debilitating because the world is never right. And so, you know, we were in small group last night and my wife has this, this weird thing that she does and she's always done it. And it, it's just constantly reorganizing the furniture, like moving things around. Like I remember when we first got married, I'd get up in the middle of the night and run into a sofa that wasn't there. I'm like, what, where did this come from? What, what are you doing at two in the morning? And, and she said last night, she said, she said, I think maybe the reason I'm constantly moving the furniture around is because it's never right. Hmm. And for me, man, if she dies tomorrow, I live in that house 40 years, that chair is not moving. (laughs) I don't care where the chair is. The only reason it's moving is if it needs to be vacuumed or it's burned to the ground. So, but I, I thought that was interesting for her to have this moment of part of her anxiety in her house is it's never perfect. Well, guess what? It's not perfect. And... So rearranging the furniture gives her the temporary satisfaction of it's better, mm. but that doesn't last. And so she's constantly, and she says she's been doing that since she was a kid, mm-hmm. a little kid moving things around. And, and again, so OCD, right, can come out of that, excessive compulsive disorder, you know, constantly making sure everything's perfect and um, which it never is. Mm. It, it just, it never is. And so you really need to look into that as, as you know, you, you dive into trying to organize the world in such a way that it, it, it makes sense, it's fair, it's equitable, 
whatever. So, so again, the reformer sees things as they, they could be Martin Luther, uh, not King, um, our wonderful social justice warrior in, in America, but Martin Luther, the priest, the Catholic priest, saw the beauty of the Catholic church and how it could be. Mm. And so, um, you know, he nailed his 99 point thesis on the wall of all the things that the Catholic church needed to change and they didn't respond maybe as well as they should have <laughs> um, to that. And so so just know that, you know, a reformer is a beautiful person and they, they exist uh, within the community to help make things better. And that is their gift. That's their role. Um, you know, as a society, uh, Japanese are great ones. They literally, as a culture, make things better. Like the whole culture moves to, oh, America's invented automobiles. Here we go. And we're better. So um, <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just amazing. You know, whole cultures can take on a persona and uh, the Japanese culture has that, just that high functioning drive for excellence, beauty, and better. How do we make this better? Um, you know, uh, super organized, super clean, um, just a, a very, very, you know, and we see some of that in German culture. You see it in British culture, just very, very organized, regimented. Everything is where it should be and as it should be. Mm. And so, and you don't see that in a lot of cultures. Um, you know, you, you don't see like a lot of ones like in African culture or other places. I mean, things are just wherever they are. So um, it's, 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 it's an organizing, putting things together, things go in their place. And, and that's a good thing. Um, and again, I, I thank God for our, our ones in our church because they tithe, they give, they serve, they're here. They do what they're supposed to do because their core motivation is to do what's good. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Have you guys maybe seen some of those characters play out in your own life? Yeah, I think I, I really love that we've adopted the the idea of the reformer, because in my life, um, I feel like where it gets a little bit unhealthy is when there's a lack of patience, and I think a lot of times the one can have a lack of patience, and that's marked a little bit more by that word perfectionist. Mm -hmm. uh, when you take a perfectionist and you turn it into a reformer, that opens up basically time to be patient. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can see this better version of the world or this better idea of how we could approach or tackle something, but now I've introduced some time. You mm -hmm. know, I can be patient with myself. I can be patient with people because we're reforming towards it as opposed to this notion that it's got to be perfect, which means it's got to be perfect now. And if it's not, I just might blow my top. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's kind of that unhealthy side. Um, so the part that's really resonated with me a lot over the last handful of months is this idea of looking at myself more as a reformer than as a perfectionist, which mm -hmm. reminds me to give people room to be human, myself included. Like we are right. human. We are yeah. not these robots that are going to magically do the perfect uh, furniture layout in the living room yeah. and get it right. Um, so me, that's that's been a big difference in understanding what a, a one is like as a reformer. Yeah. And for me, I, I don't know that, I mean, I guess I could say that, yes, I'm a perfectionist, but the reformer to me resonates more because when I see everything in a room or in people or at work or at home, I see all the details that go with it. So whereas you may see, like you just see your living mm -hmm. room, your wife sees, oh, well this in, like invites, I could, I could see how your wife maybe mm -hmm. gets hung up on how the furniture is laid out or what it means when people come over. So it's almost like the scroll unrolls anytime we talk about like pick a subject, pick a topic or a mm -hmm. process at work isn't right. Or when I'm at home, like this needs to be fixed. And so I get lost in those details. The problem is for different people is that maybe that's just one thing that's noise to them, but I can see there's like nine things in this room right now that yeah. maybe are just noise, right. but they all have the same level of importance to me. And so I can get lost in red flag, red flag, red 
that yeah. all need my attention, which works to my benefit here in the workplace because this is my job to take care of details and be on top of them and to care for them for other people. The problem is when I let it regulate me and I get lost in just running after all the things that need my attention. And mm -hmm. so finding the balance of, and then also learning to let go and be like, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because I decide that all those things have the same volume level. Not that anyone has told me that everything has that right. same volume. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so learning to just let go of, it doesn't all matter. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and it certainly isn't all equal importance. Let me ask you this question. Um, I think the challenge for the one in the workplace is delegation because you can do it better. Mm -hmm. So how do you struggle in trusting things to others um, to, 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 and allowing them to not do it as well as you would do and not just take over? So how, how do you do that? Because you have to lead through others, especially in the church. We have to, you know, you two are in positions of leadership, right? We equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we have to allow people to do things better. How, how, how is that for you? Is that anxious? <laughs> yeah, very much so. I, I actually remember a couple of years ago now, probably you made the comment, you have to allow people to do it not as well as you. Yeah. And I've remembered that for the last couple of years. And I think for me, I, I try to do a combination of, of accepting that along with patience and coaching. Right. Because th that combination allows you to believe we can help each other move towards that kind of ideal perfection, reformed mm -hmm. state, you don't have to give up on it. You don't have to say, you know, it's just all going to not be done well, mm -hmm. um, according to, you know, my great standard for whatever that means. Um, but you can kind of combine, hey, a, a freedom to let that happen with some coaching, with some patience, and we can all kind of learn and grow. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I find that combination, at least when I'm doing it well, to work well, and, mm -hmm. and when I'm not, it doesn't, so... I'm awful at delegation. I'm aware of that. Um, it's a key issue that my supervisor and I are working on, but it has, as I sit in this right now, allowed me the opportunity to practice what I'm not also good at, which is, or what I need to be better at, which is coaching. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so maybe this didn't go well, but it's an opportunity for me. If I'm so good at this, okay, then let me show you how to be equally as good at that. And then we can walk through that together. And mm -hmm. so rather than it sit in, oh gosh, this is awful. Okay. How can we walk through this together? And so right. it's a learning experience for us both. Yeah. Well, I think ones though are great at systematically helping others to be better. You guys think in systems, you think in steps. And I actually think that's very, very helpful for other personalities. Uh, whereas me, I, I'm, I'm more of an intuitive leader, just kind of gut. I don't have a lot of wisdom in terms of helping people come to the same conclusions that I do. But whereas like Claude Hickman, um, you know, he does our, our, our preaching uh, and teaching seminars and he is much better at systematically walking people through the steps and he has a lot more one in him. I mean, mine's like non-existent. And so I just think that that's how I would encourage all of our ones is that you make great teachers because you, you think systematically and you can help bring people along through steps. People need steps. If they don't just naturally understand it, and that's the beauty of the one in helping reform others and bringing people mm -hmm. to a better place. And that's just the beauty of the one. Um, whereas some of the other personality types would be like, just get it done. You know, just get your stuff done. Whereas the one is, here's how we do it. Mm -hmm. You know, here's how we organize it. And, um, and and great systems and great cultures have been raised on on those things. Here are the steps. Mm -hmm. You know, step yeah. one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And um, and at our best, we believe people can work through those steps with yeah. us and be better. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned a lot in your message on the one is that the one reflects the goodness of God, right. God's order, God's justice, God's goodness. How can ones and maybe all of us even work to embrace that goodness, that justice, that 
doing the righteous side of God without becoming then overly legalistic and self-righteous. Cause I know that can be a temptation for me. Like, well, I just need to like set up the right rules and then I will do well in these things. I'll be yeah, doing. I, I think for most of American history, ones have been in charge of our religious systems. So they ran Catholicism, they ran Lutheranism, they ran Presbyterianism, Baptists. Ones are not in charge anymore. They're not. And we've completely shifted from moral truth to feelings. And so now everything's about don't judge, everything's about follow your heart, and we're a mess. We're a mess culturally, we're a mess religiously. Nobody understands moral truth or goodness anymore. And that's why every group needs a one in the group to say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't all get drunk. Maybe, yeah, maybe, you know, we don't wife swap, you know, maybe that's like, that, that's not according to the Bible. Um, and ones are that great anchor. And I, and I think they need to unashamedly understand that, that somebody in the group needs to speak up for truth and for what's right, not about what you feel, because a lot of the counsel we're getting in our world today is follow your heart. And that's mm-hmm. bad advice. Now, where the one needs to remember, right, is it's about the soul. It's about the soul. And so we were, man, we were talking last night. It was so funny as we were talking about the prodigal son coming home. And, you know, my wife has such a hard time with justice. Well, it's not fair. And I just said, okay, so, you know, he got a party, he got a barbecue, but he came back with VD. (laughs) You know, he lost everything. He's dead broke. He has syphilis. Like the consequences for his sin, what it took him to get to God is hell. So he got a party. And he's in heaven. Mm-hmm. Like sin works its way out in our lives. And so the, you don't need to worry about accountability because, right, sin brings death. I mean, there's things in that young man's life. He has no inheritance anymore. He's a son, but he's broke because everything is the older sons. And so uh, God is ultimately fair and right and just. And it's just, I just think we can get caught up on the one feels like they need to sit in the seat of God to make sure that according to their perspective, the bill has been paid. Mm-hmm. Well, he paid the bill when he was broke eating with pigs and he's naked and he's, you know, like, I mean, the story doesn't say he has venereal disease, but I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> the Matt Brown translation does. I'm guessing when you, you know, you dabble with the prostitutes, you, you get the benefits. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, it, it, he, he was wrecked and, and, and the older brother should have allowed that to be enough and celebrate that, that he came back. And so I just think it's it's really, really important that the one not be so guided by their principles and morals that they can't see the person. Mm-hmm. And so so I think the rest of us really need to appreciate and 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 celebrate the ones who do the right thing because they have they have this rudder. God has placed a do you know what a rudder is? Mm-hmm. So on a boat. So it it's it's oh let, let's use a car. God's given ones a steering wheel and it works. A lot of us have no steering wheel in our car. And we just kind of go wherever, you know, the road takes us. But ones know how to turn and steer and they know what's right. They drive on the right side of the road. They stop at stop signs. You know, that's who they are. And we need that in our culture. And so what we need to help ones to see is, yes, you're right, but the person matters too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, the father says, yeah, but your son, your brother was dead and he's alive. So I think that trumps your sad feelings over not getting a goat with you and your friends. So I think that we need to do that. But again, I, I don't want ones because they're so critical of themselves to, to feel beat down. And especially in a church like Sandals, that's so grace oriented, we have to make sure that we don't silence the one's voice. They need to be heard. Now in some churches, they're too loud. At Sandals, that's not the case. They need to be heard. You need the people in your group that actually know the Bible, 
Um, because most people don't. They don't have a clue as to what the Bible says. And the ones know it and they follow it and they and they believe it and they trust it. And and again, they don't pray a lot about obedience. They just are obedient and they follow God and they trust God where the rest of us are trying to find our heart to worship God. And they're just, you know, the ones in church, whether they feel like it or not, because this is where I'm supposed to be. So um so specifically for a one two, one of the questions that we've gotten in, and I think you even said someone asked you this on Twitter. What does it look like for a one to experience love? Yeah. Well, I told you guys, I think you, I'm not, I have zero one. Well, it's not zero. I need to go back and look at my score. I have very, very low one. But somebody asked me that on Twitter. And I thought that was a great question. How, how do you love a one? Because it can feel a little frustrating to try to love a person that, you know, no matter what, maybe it's not good enough. So when do you guys feel loved? Um, I think for me, I... I'm aware of every detail to everything all the time. And so while I love that to, to serve people on their behalf, because I've taken care of the things for them that they maybe don't even know that they need, is that it never, never, it a lot of times feels like no one is attentive to me as I am to them. Mm. That's my like deep, dark secret of... Mm. What's your wing? Uh, nine. Okay. Um, And so I it's hard for me to always be on it and always be taking care of all the things. And then like we go to give gifts and someone's like, Oh, here, I bought you something that I picked up on the way here. Like, yeah. and so, Oh, it feels so like, wow. Deep, dark secrets. I'm <laughs> deep yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, One's exposed. <laughs> right. Um, as it would be really awesome if someone was had a level of detail and mm. attentiveness to me that I feel like I have to all mm. the things Yeah. and it doesn't always, and while it's not usually a big deal, it's one of those things I think if you, if I really felt like you were paying attention to me and the things that were important to me and not like, oh yeah, here, I had this thing, mm. here you go, um, that it would feel, that I would feel like, oh, you saw me mm. and you know who I am. Mm. Mm. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it does. And, and as, as I was thinking about it a bit, I think for me, it's also a lot about having a patience for inviting me into uh, or, or to come off of that track that I'm on, that I'm constantly running to do things, get things right, get things done. Um, whether it's my wife or a couple of friends who are kind of, let me pull you into something fun. Let's go do something. Let's mm-hmm. get off that track for mm-hmm. a little while. Um, and just know that it's, for me, it's hard to get off the track. Mm-hmm. So if you invite a seven to go do something, they might already be there before you finish inviting right. them. <laughs> um, but for me, it might take a little bit more to, to say, hey, get, and then a little bit of time to get engaged in whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, to, to kind of insert that joy or kind of rest or that, or that type mm. of thing. Um, so you can say, I really am fun. Yeah, I, I really am fun, but you might take a little bit to get me over there because I also got these 87 things that yeah. I yeah. feel like I've got to get done. So. Yeah, I even noticed, like, I identify a lot with one that's not my highest. I'm a, I'm a hardcore nine, but I've noticed even ways that, like, Tyler has loved me is by, like, cleaning the house and getting things ready. So it's like, hey, now you can relax with me. Yeah. Mm. Like, because he always wants me to, like, come, like, hang out, chill on the couch. And I'm looking at, like, every single thing in the house, like, yeah. oh, that needs to be picked up. That needs to be washed. That needs to be cleaned. And, like, there have been days where I come home and, like, the house is clean. It's like, yeah, like, come relax with me. Like, I took care of this for you so that I know you will actually relax and actually hang out with me yeah. and not sit there on the couch, like leaning forward, wanting to like stack the dishes that's over <laughs> here or do that. And so yeah. that's one way I've really experienced love is by him noticing, mm-hmm. oh, these are the things that if these are in order, she's actually a lot more at rest and more likely to be fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, I relate to all three of you. I work with all three of you. Um, so I'll just start with Brian. Brian, I feel like you feel loved by me when I specifically call out and I say, I really appreciate this about you. So it's very specific. Yeah, very like, much like, so. Okay, so it's not like a general, hey, I like you. It's I value this in you. 
um, you know, Bethany, I feel like um, you feel loved by me when I recognize, um, like when I recognize you don't, you don't like me nearly as close to you. Yep. Yeah. So, so I recognize like, oh, I was like, oh, I make you uncomfortable when I'm this close. So I'm going to see you and step back. I feel like in our friendship started to grow because you felt seen and, and acknowledged. Yeah, and I was you were like, attentive to what I yeah, needed. Okay. So for you, your oneness is a little more challenging for me. Um, I'm trying to think. How do you feel? I think it's harder for me because your one is not as dominant. How do you? How do, how have you felt loved by me in the past? Um, I think you do a good job of noticing and recognizing when, like, I see things that you don't, or take, yeah, like, when yeah. I was your assistant. Like, yeah. you did a really good job of recognizing that and saying, like, oh yeah, like thanks for noticing this, thanks for taking care of that, like, and just noticing the thing, mm. the things that I noticed that like I didn't, I thought would just kind of like, oh, I just yeah. did my job, and you're like, oh yeah, like yeah. thanks for doing that. Yeah, your nine is easier for me to relate to than mm-hmm. than your one, but I know the ones in there because oh, there's yeah. a lot of I've seen that. Yeah, the ones yeah. what helps my nine not be as like, oh, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I should do that. I yeah. should do that. I think so. you do a better job of relaxing than these two, though. That's the nine. Yeah, so. that's the nine's like, oh, I don't really feel yeah. like it. I'm fine. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And I think, again, just for the one, you know, you guys see the world in, in checklists and just understanding that it's okay for you to be a box that somebody needs to check. Hey, here's a need that I have. And, and to be honest about that and say, here's something in expressing in marriage, you know, uh, especially, you know, you're a working mom, um, and that job never stops and say, you know, uh, her husband's name is David. Uh, you know, here's what I need. Mm-hmm. And I need you to, I need you to check this box. And, and I think all of us need to learn in this series to be declarative. Here's what I need. And, um, uh, I think a lot of us feel like, especially as married couples that our spouse should intuitively know we did not marry Yoda. None of us, we all need, <laughs> we all need to de- declare and say, I need this. And, um, and, and, and be fair, right? Because your spouse is not God and they can't meet your needs all the time, but in friendships and relationships and, um, um, and just say at work, here's what I need. And so, um, because the ones will run themselves ragged to cover for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so then we're no good when all of our ones are dead. So, um, because nobody can do it all. So. Oh, um, but we can try. Yeah. <laughs> you can try and. Make our best effort. Right. Get closer than yeah. most and so, but then what happens, right? What's the core sin? So it's anger. So then you're yeah. pissed at everybody all the time. And you're angry because nobody works as hard as you and, and they don't. And, and then you're not telling them because that would be wrong and it would be wrong for you to, you know, and, and, and then, you know, then you just snap and quit. How so. does he know us so well? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, one, sorry, can I go off? Yeah, course? go off. There are rules to this game. You can do it. Um, you, we have a one going off road. You had asked me the first time what I had identified with and I told him it was a one, but I don't feel like I'm angry. And I sat in that for a long time trying to sort through because I didn't feel like I identified with the anger. But I was doing some more research and reading is that resentment mm-hmm. actually, it like just hits a little closer to home. Mm-hmm. Is that, well, mostly probably because I feel like anger is a strong emotion and we won't ever yeah, wait yeah. into the really Yeah, your emotions. low four won't allow you to feel that. Yeah, yeah. But resentment is something that seems like it just simmers. And so mm. it just holds. And so that I identify more with is that I'm resentful that I always have things to do. And how come you don't? Or how is it that you can suddenly decide that you're done? But we're not done. The list is never done. And right. so um, mm. that is what is hard to not impose the rules that I have self-declared mm-hmm. on behalf of everybody else. Because I've decided that all these things matter, but no one else has. But I'm upset with you. Yeah, I resent mm-hmm. you yeah. that you're done and I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I originally had a hard time with the word anger as well because I've never characterized myself as angry. I've never kind of exploded or you know what you might assume was a, a sign of anger, but kind of worked my way towards frustration, resentment, that that type of thing as well. 
And those are probably just kind of synonyms for oh, yes. the, the word we don't want right. to associate with ourselves. Anger is bad. Yeah, anger, that's no good, clearly. <laughs> Frustration can pass, but anger's not good. Um, so, yeah. So we actually had a really interesting question in from a couple of different people, both Wendy and Sam Rodin, uh, separate people with separate children who asked, who noticed that they both seem to be raising children who exhibit a lot of one in their personality. What does it look like to parent a child who seems to exhibit characters of that? I don't know if you guys have any yes. kids or ones. Yeah. Or- you have to deal with the heart. And so um, I remember, you know, Tammy and I, my wife's father was an alcoholic. And so when we got married, um, she made it very clear that alcohol was something that was not going to be in our home. So I didn't drink alcohol at all for, I think the first 12 years of our marriage, not a drop. And um, one time at a party, uh, like a friend's party, I had a sip of something. And I just remember Madison, my daughter, looked at me like I had murdered someone. And I thought, ooh, we're raising a one. Like she just, she doesn't understand scope, scale, and so for right ones, everything's illegal or legal. Like it's, there, there's, there's a line, there's no gray. It's black or it's white. And so really speaking into her heart and, and beginning to manage her heart and trying to get her to see uh, people, principles, rules, uh, you know, the heart issue rather than just what's right or what's wrong. Because, um, you know, at the end, right, the good brother does everything right, but his heart's wrong and he's not going to heaven. So steward their heart and really try to get to their heart and help them, um, you know, get in touch with their feelings, what's happening, um, what's going on. And, and, and so my mom is, is, is a one, uh, my daughter's a one, my wife has a lot of one. So I have a lot of women around me uh, with, with real, real high ones. And it's so it's just, it's how to connect with their heart and finding they have one, right? So finding it. They keep and, telling us that. <laughs> yeah, finding it and, and, and stewarding that and making them comfortable with those things. Because again, for the one, right, feelings and emotions are very unsafe because they're not, they're, they're not as, con- you can't control them. They're not, you know, they don't always, <laughs> they don't always do what you want them to do. And so, and so then, right, that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't do that. And so um, just really helping them to embrace kind of, even within a one, even within their heart, they're, they're not always decided. So how do you help them be honest about, wow, I, I, I could go a little evil here, you know? Because we, we all have that and, and we all have that escapist mentality. We all sin. We're all a little drawn to the dark. And so how do you help them, you know, um, you know kind of tap into that? And so for the one, you know, one of my favorite scenes in the last Star Wars movie, um, and I thought was brilliant is when Kylo Ren, all of our Star Wars people are gonna love this, there's this thing where he's standing before the dark Sith and he said, um, he said, I, I did not tell you that as you pressed into the dark, the light would grow. And so that's the wrestling of Han Solo's son. The light grows. Well, for the one, as they press into the light and what's good, right, and true, darkness also grows. And so how do we deal with that? And how do we, and so how does that manifest itself in the good brother? He refuses. The darkness has been growing the whole time. It's been simmering and it comes out with, I'm not going to heaven and you can't make me, you know? And so um, if you read The Great Divorce um, by C.S. Lewis, which is one of maybe the greatest Christian books ever written, there's this highly unhealthy one who's a mother and she demands that her son leave heaven and come with her to hell. And if he loved her, he would do that. It's crazy Um, because he's violating his commitment to her as a mom. So she's created a, a rule it, man, it is, that scene is just, ooh. but um, so, so just know that as a one, even though you're better than the rest of us, there's still darkness in there. 
And you have to really, really make sure, you know, Jesus says, be careful that your eye does not turn to darkness. So if we think we see clearly, but it's become dark, man. And that's why, you know, you think about like, uh, I don't want to pick on Islam, but Islam, right, is a highly regimented right, wrong religion. And yet they, many of them blow up people and kill children and do terrible, awful things. Even ones can get really, really crooked and wrong. And um, um, so, you know, you know, I mean, you can have a, an abortion activist that kills a doctor. Well, what, what just happened here? Your one went completely, you know, crazy here. So, uh, and in the name of right and what's good and true, you commit evil. So you got to really, really watch that. So um, I just would, again, say manage your kids' hearts. Any of your kids' ones? I have, my daughter is leaning that way. She just is more highly emotional than I am. And so I've had to be super conscious in what I lean to and what I'm comfortable with and things that maybe I've taught her as far as how we do things, which she's taken on. But I don't want to stifle the fact that she swings high and low and she feels strongly and feels passionately. And even though I don't, I don't want to create a life for her where she doesn't feel comfortable being able to express that or express that to me. So I have to work really hard for her and for me to be okay with the fact that she wants to be up in my business and mm. like a cat and yeah. that she wants to... Which is hilarious to me. If you guys knew Bethany, like... <laughs> So not like, <laughs> and I have to work yeah. really hard to sit there and be like, she's going to need counseling. It's going to be okay. We're going to sit here together and have this moment because it's important to her. Yeah. And, and she feels loved by you when you, she cuddles. Yeah. yeah. And she wants to talk about her highs and talk about her lows mm. and, oh, sitting and talking about feelings is my like, love language. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> being super cautious that for her, because I grew up in a home that, um, we didn't talk about anything. We didn't mm. talk about, we felt good or bad ever. And I, right now, am currently having to work through what that means mm. to me as an adult, what it means to me as a wife, what it means to me as a mm. parent. And so having to purposefully adopt behaviors that are good for me, but are good for her. Yeah. And so it's work. It's not always comfortable. And I have to take a minute sometimes and deep breath. It's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Your kids are awesome. How about you? Yeah, I've got, my son has got a lot of, a lot of one in him. And um, I think one of the things I try to be careful to do with him is... Uh, not place too much demand or or kind of make him into a trophy. And I think that's one thing we can do, you know, if we have a child who's a, a one and maybe they're pretty mm-hmm. good at some things, either A, we ignore them because, hey, they're fine. I got these other kids I got to go right. worry, worry about. <laughs> and then they're kind of off isolated or we turn them into our trophy and they become the, you know, my child did great at whatever yeah. bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. And before, you know, you're, you're kind of parading them through your friends and look yeah. how one, like... And, and, and no child can kind of live up to that standard. And it mm-hmm. really creates, I think, this inner conflict um, where they don't know how to live in the middle a little bit and, and not have to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they end up in a situation where they're both a bit isolated, so they want some attention, and now the, the way they get it is by being the, being the trophy, um, mm. you've kind of created a pattern for them that might end up taking a while to heal out of. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would just say, you know, practically kind of be careful if you get into kind of isolating or, or ignoring a bit or putting a great demand to be the trophy all the time. Um, doesn't create a lot of room to make a mistake. Yeah, I, I would just say for all of our parents, you know, the key to parenting is not trying to recreate yourself. Mm-hmm. It's trying to allow this kid to be who God's called him to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of parents you're going to go through a season of disappointment where you realize they're not carbon copies of you. And then you have to die to self and realize they're created in God's image, not your image. And then you allow them to be 
you know, you confess that as sin and you allow them to be who they are and, and, and really celebrate them in their life. And as they go, it's what we all needed as kids and it's what our kids need. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be pushed or encouraged or, you know, directed, but doing those things in mind that they might not be ones. So, but also as a one parenting and even parenting is, um, let being okay with letting my kids fail. Yeah. Which is one of those things is not creating carbon copies, but like failure is not an option for mm-hmm. me as right. a rule. But then I have to let my kids learn that lesson, yeah. which means that I have to sit in and then teach them that it's okay to right. fail. And so that is the challenge, but one that I want to be a good parent. I want my children to be successful and to feel mm-hmm. highs and lows and to know what failure is and to know what mm-hmm. success is. Yeah. Right. Well, and one of the parents that wrote in, and I remember even my mom saying this about raising me, is that a hard part with raising a kid who's a one is that they can be more self-critical yeah. of themselves than anyone will ever correct them on. Like they'll be way harder on themselves. I know I was way harder on myself than my parents ever were. Mm. So what does it look like to love a one who is just really in that self-critical cycle, either a child or an adult? Like how do you love someone and help walk them through and out of that self-criticism? Because yeah. I know I'll tend to dismiss someone saying like, you're just being too hard on yourself. Like you don't understand. I know exactly the rules that I have yeah. not met met and lived up to. Yeah, I think for the one, it's just really embracing the love of God for your being rather than for your doing. So God doesn't love me because of what I do. He loves me because of who I am. And so really just trying to invite God into that heart place of that God's love for me is based upon real love. It's not like do this and I love you. It's It's, I love you. And so I just think for the one, it's so hard because- Everything is is lists, and you know love is not a list. It's right. You, you you love your kids, and so trying to get your kids to know that you know I want you to do well, but I love you, even if you don't, even if you fail, even if you you're not good at everything or things are not difficult. That we love you and we celebrate. Um, you know, I I love my son has a lot of one. We think he's taking the test this week, so we don't know. Uh, but he actually came to us. He said, "Can I take the test?" And I was like, "You know, he's a freshman." So I was like, "Okay." But my son just really struggles not excelling. And I'm like, yeah, I think this guy's a one. Um, but just really saying, I, I, you know, I love watching the struggle. I love watching you have to work on things. And, you know, I mean, that's part of life, right? Is, well, I'm not good at everything, um, but I got to get through life. So I got to work through these things. And, and, and just really saying that I appreciate the struggle. I appreciate who he is and, and loving as, him as, as, as a person. Um, I, I think that's just really, really important. What would you guys say? Yeah, I've actually experienced that in, in having kids is this real detachment between what they have done and and where my love for them is. And and I think a lot of that for me is kind of, I, I think about that moment when you're putting your kids to bed at night mm. and nothing about what the day has held has influenced your love for them in that moment. And that for me has been a great mm. kind of picture and reminder of, I think, what God's love for me looks like, whether mm. I can trust it or not yeah, on a yeah. daily basis. Um, but but in having kids, that's brought a real clarity to me because um, you have some horrible days, you know, yeah, yeah. very difficult days with kids. Um, but by the end of it, there's, there's no checklist, there's no balance sheet, there's no mm. review of where they're standing. They're perfectly and completely loved as you put them to bed at night and it starts all over for the next day. Um, and that's helped me with kind of detaching this yeah, notion yeah. of what I'm doing with the love mm. that God has for me. So. And I love to, it's good for me to sit and um, like look at the moon or when I'm at the beach or mm. when I'm in the mountains is to remember how big God is and how small I am mm. because it reminds me that it's, 
I'm as much as I like to hold on to and think that I have control over all mm. the things or that I have to hold them all together. The reminder that God is so big and I don't have to be and right. I'm not. Mm. And so um, it, it it's good for me to pause, but that's my favorite thing usually about getting away or just having a moment mm. like I'm driving home and there's a full moon and just from a reminder and a thankfulness mm. that God reminds me on a regular basis that he's big and I don't have to be. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Mm. So as we kind of wrap this up now, just kind of like one final question, you know, our vision here at Sandals Church is all about being real with ourselves, God and others. So how have each of you kind of seen this process of self-discovery, learning about your primary identity as a one? Um, how has this kind of helped you in being real with yourself and being real with God and being real with others? How have you seen that start to play out in that process for you? Um, there's a lot of pieces to this. Like Matt said, when we first started is that there's not there's not a, Hey, I'm just going to tackle this and be done. Like a lot of what I've been working through has come in pieces over the last three years and different parts of me. I mean, it gets tackled in different pieces. So the first one I think that I had to work through is, um, how do other people receive me? And sitting in that, one of the big things we do here on staff is, um, working through that and asking people that and being honest and real about Mm. that and being okay with the answer. Like you have to sit and ask that question Mm. and be willing to receive what comes back to you. And so I've had to pick a few pieces apart there and okay, so this is how people receive me. That's maybe not what I wanted to be, but that's what I had to be. And then there's a part of me that I have work to do on my own, despite what people may think of me. And I'm aware and I have to admit and say on a regular basis that I'm a chronic overfunctioner, like to my detriment. Mm-hmm. And so can I get a whole lot done on a regular basis? Yes, but sometimes it's to my death. Yeah, yeah. And so I ha- about two years ago um, had gotten this book from Pastor Dan Crowley, The Rest of God. And um, I have decided that it's something that I have to read every year just to sit down and go through the practices that the practice of Sabbath is not a suggestion and a reminder right. that it's a command for my health. And because I leave here on my, I work full time and then I go home, I have two kids and I have a house. And so there's right. so many other things that have mm. to happen the second that I leave these doors, I can always have something to yeah. do. And the knowledge that rest is not something that I get because I'm done and I've checked off on my list, oh, I've earned this rest. Rest is a gift to me. And yeah. I, but I have to be willing to, to walk into that and mm. say, the list will never be done today. I'm doing something like sitting because I'm allowed to do that. And I have to remember that. And the truth is, is that I will continue to get lost into myself unless I have the reminder that this is not a suggestion from God. This is his command to Mm. me. And that productivity is not, while it's an American value, it is not in the lifestyle that I have said that this is what I want to do. And God wants for my health and benefit Mm. and for my heart. Because if I get too caught up in all the things all the time and I get too far removed from rest, then I forget to see people Mm -hmm. and I forget to see them as people. And all I see is, yeah, you're another thing I have to do right Mm -hmm. now. And so the further I am removed from cycles of rest, the harder my heart gets. And so rest is the Sabbath and the practice and the purposeful, I am not doing anything today because it is for my health to love people. And it allows me to see people again in faces Mm. and to start sitting in feelings. And because otherwise Mm. I will just turn in, I will turn into a robot and I can in fact become that. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, as I've gone through the discovery, uh, Pastor Dan Zimbardi, our executive pastor, actually shared a a phrase with me, the patient father. Mm -hmm. And that's really helped me to kind of frame up and understand it. I think a father has a desire to lead, a desire to move somewhere, 
But when you add the patience in, it helps you to not drag people along the way. And I think I've begun to see um, that sometimes I can put now over people. And when I start doing that, that's when I've begun to Mm. get really unhealthy and maybe push too far um, people or souls. And and you talked about kind of running over people at times. Um, But that's kind of really helped me understand it. And then the second big piece for me is is the recognition that my barometer is off. Mm. You know, so the, I think we all kind of have a barometer. You know, the yeah. eight doesn't know quite when to challenge or not challenge. The nine doesn't know quite when to rest or not yeah. rest. Um, and I think for the one, um, we don't quite know when to celebrate, right. when to get off the track and have mm-hmm. some fun. And so just understanding that my in my unhealth, my barometer is off. Mm-hmm. And I might not be the best person to gauge when that's the right time mm-hmm. for me if I'm not in a healthy place. Yeah. Um, just like the the achiever might not be the best barometer for mm-hmm. when have we created enough goals and yeah. reached enough goals. Like yeah, yeah. our barometers can be a little bit off in our core mm-hmm. style. Um, and that's helped me to understand where community fits in. Mm-hmm. You know, because if if I'm not the best barometer for that, or at least as I become more healthy, I'm not, mm-hmm. or until I do, um, that's when other people can begin to influence that or speak into mm-hmm. that, so that, um, so that I can have that rest, and so mm-hmm. that I can um, maybe not put the now, the priority, the perfect over the people mm-hmm. and their their health and their soul. Um, mm-hmm. So that patient father idea and that understanding of of my barometer and, and the brokenness of that mm-hmm. have been helpful for me as I kind of discover more mm-hmm. about who I am. All right. Can I ask a question before we Absolutely. start? Absolutely. So I want to ask you both the same question. So uh, we'll make Bethany go first. Um, but what, you know, as you've pressed into this, you know, the one has a really hard time with flaws. What's, what's the part of your brokenness uh, of, of your oneness that's been the most painful for you? And then the next question is what's the beauty um in who God's made you to be that's been maybe the most satisfying. So we'll start negative and then go up. So, you know, because right, part of the challenge of this test is as we press into this, we're all going to see some things we really don't like. And that's not just for the one. The one will maybe struggle the most with embracing it, but I'm telling you, there's 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 some aspects to my three that just make me just want to vomit because it's just so ugly. Um so what, what, what part of your brokenness as you press in, have you just been like, wow, that's painful, but I see that in me. And then what part of, maybe it's more hard to acknowledge, wow, that's really, that's really beautiful in me. So, because it's both. We want people to discover both in this. So I know that's not an easy question. Sure. Well, the one that right now that I've sat in for the last year and still is not in me resolved is um, I don't feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have feelings, they tell me. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I, to say that I'm not okay, or to admit that, mm. and that to admit that I don't have it all together, but or at the same time to say, oh, this is I'm not okay, and here's mm. why, or to sit with someone else who is having, um, who is really upset, or there's not a right answer. Like mm. I'm sitting with a few friends right now. There is not a logical mm. progression of what's going to happen. I can walk it in and out, but. Yeah it's not resolved. There's not an answer. And just to sit in that emotion or to sit and let things be ugly mm-hmm. and broken and I can't fix them. Yeah. And, um, I right now am working through personally, um, is that 
uh, there's always a list of obligations. It doesn't matter how I feel. It just has to get done. Mm -hmm. And the question that's been posed to me, but how do you feel? And Mm -hmm. I literally, I'm sorry. Um, is I have to work through that because Mm. I, I can't not ever be a person who can't engage in community with people or can't engage with my husband or can't engage with Mm -hmm. my children or can't sit in hard things because I can't actually put an emotion to it or sit in it Mm. because emotions to me are not logical. Like I can't process it. It doesn't, it just fits nicely on this shelf over there (laughs) if I just leave it over there. And so like, that's not a, you're not a person, like you're not a whole person in Christ. Mm. And so to sit and part of that is me working through that with God and being honest and being able to Mm. say words out loud, like, I'm sad that you did not buy me a good present because you didn't think about it. Mm. Or I'm angry that I am angry. I just have to say that word out loud because I'm not good. At anything that's strong on the yeah. <laughs> pendulum are just not safe words to me. So Sure. And so the, that to me just sounds so ugly. Like mm. who doesn't feel? And it's hard mm. for me to sit in emotion in general and because mm. it's not logical. I can't think through it. They don't make sense to me. Mm. All right, your beauty. Ugh, okay, good. Um. <laughs> I love what I get to do. I mean, uh, the what I tell people all the time, I'm not actually qualified to do my job. I'm just crazy in the head. And that level of craziness allots me a lot of fun. And so uh, my job here is to work with our creative department and let them do what they do best. And I love that I get to free them up because I'll handle all the details for them to go be on stage or to make the most amazing thing you've ever seen at Sandals Church. And so I love that my neuroses allows for that level of freedom for other people. And I love that I get to... I mean, my degree is in modern American history, and mm. it's something that's fascinating to me, but what I'm gifted at has allowed me to do mm. really fun things like this. And I don't know that I would how I would ever put that on a resume of here is what I'm educated on, but here's really how I'm innate, innately gifted. And I love that this place allots um, that we hire people who are gifted how mm-hmm. God has wired them, and they have found for me a what I think is a fantastic position to get to do what I love to do with how I'm wired. All right. So flaws first. Um, I think how I've treated people over mm. the first 40 years of life, 20 years of career, um, I can be very difficult to work with at times. Um, the, the reality is some of that, you talked about strategies that you've mm-hmm. used. Some of that produced great results. That, right. That's the reality. Um, all, all the way back through school and mm-hmm. career and so forth. And so some of those strategies work, but then you get to about my age, I just turned 40 and you start to really struggle with both exhaustion mm-hmm. and with h- how did I treat people through mm-hmm. that? Um, and I think I, I deal with guilt over that. Um, and I think that's the flaw that that I, I, I feel the most mm. guilt over. Um, mm. And what does it look like to embrace different strategies over the next 40 years right. so that maybe the effectiveness doesn't go away, but somehow the relationships are better mm-hmm. and uh, the exhaustion is less. Um, and part of the the Enneagram process has, has given me language to understand that I can embrace different strategies. Right. Um, mm. it, it is a thing, you know, yeah. you, you can say <laughs> yeah. both those worked in some ways, but I am also going to set them aside because right. they were not great. And I'm going to embrace some different mm. strategies mm. let me go figure out what those are, how they work. How do I, um, make mm. them real in my life? Um, so I think that flaw, that relationship part and, and some of how I feel I treated people th- through that. Mm. 
um, is a big flaw. Um, what was the other the other side was the beauty. The beauty. The beauty. <laughs> uh, so it's it's there, right? We're allowed to have that too. Yeah, also. you're allowed to be beautiful. Um, okay. Um, I think the part that I, I really enjoy the most is the idea of of the seer. Um, a couple of weeks after I came on staff, you actually talked about me being a seer, and that's the first place I heard that hmm. word. Um, but that I, I love the beauty of being able to see. Um, maybe a bit further than others mm-hmm. can see some things that other people maybe can't. Um, and in my healthiest moments, being able to bring people towards that. I right. love ushering people towards that beauty. Uh, it's when you get the unhealthy strategy that you're beating them towards that yeah. beauty. <laughs> yeah. That is not good. Um, but how do you help usher people towards that and have the patience and grace to get there? Um, but I really enjoy... Uh, that ability to see when mm-hmm. when it's reforming and not a burden that mm-hmm. you know we're falling short of, and you know we will beat people into submission until we get yeah, there. Yeah. You know, um, I love that gift when I can use it healthy, and I'm hopeful that mm-hmm. the second forty years is is a more health healthy use of that gift. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, I just love ones, um, you know, and let me just say to all of our ones, you know, the great burden of your life is to see the good in you and others. That's the great, that's the great challenge. It's there, but, um, you know, you will have to see that first in yourself. And as you see it in yourself, you will begin to see it in others and uh, uh, in your kids and your work and, and stuff like that. And the next is just constantly working at relaxing and having fun. I mean, that's just right. Uh, because you'll actually be I'm sick it say gooder. You're going to be better <laughs> if you're relaxed. You're, you're going to be more efficient when you've rested. I mean, you know all the statistics and studies about work. I mean, you can work yourself to a point where you're inefficient. And ones can do that where they're actually accomplishing less, but they believe they're doing more. And, um, and again, our barometers are broken. And so, um, you know, so for the, uh, the one, right, six days you shall work, one day you shall rest for the nine, Six days you shall work, <laughs> right? So it's 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 very very different. Yeah. I mean, you put the emphasis on different parts of the sentence. Um, um, so, but the you know the the one just really has to struggle to rest in the, that moment in God to feel to connect, and um, you know um, I just think that's really important. But I just love our ones, and I'm just again so grateful. We can't function without them. Um, you know, they're going to feel the most exposed of, of the nine personality types because they're the most uncomfortable with, with personal flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have them and, um, we just need to embrace that and move forward. And, and we're all have, uh, you know, beauty in us. And, and again, the ones make the world go round. So we're thankful. Yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And you guys can get the uh, notes for this episode at debrief.show slash 105. We'll have the link again to that self-discovery assessment if you'd like to take that and learn about your type. And stick around after this episode wraps up because we actually, for every single type of uh, the Enneagram, we've got our music director, Matt Ritchie, has been writing specific songs that we're sharing in the services over the weekend. And we want to go ahead and tag that song onto the end of this episode. So stick around, listen for that. We'd love for you to have that as a little gift to our ones. Cool. Thanks Thanks for having us. A place for everything Everything in place I see the minutes in the hour The hours of the day 
The race I can't escape The game I cannot win I see an end I cannot reach Before the chase begins I am loved in my imperfection I'm good though I'm incomplete There's grace enough for you Grace enough for me This world can be a better place If you'd see it through my eyes But with the fleeting fix of completed lists I'm left unsatisfied But I'm loved in my imperfection I'm good though I'm incomplete There's grace enough for you enough for me There's forgiveness for faults and failures For now and for those to come God give me grace to know the goodness The goodness and the grace of good I'm good though I'm incomplete There's grace enough for you Grace enough for me There's forgiveness for faults and failures For now and for those to come God give me grace to know the goodness The goodness and the grace I'm loved in my imperfection I'm good though I'm incomplete There's grace enough for you Grace enough for me There's forgiveness for faults and failures For now and for those to come God give me grace to know the goodness The goodness and the grace God give me grace to know the goodness the goodness and the grace of good enough.